Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today, we'll be reviewing Ultimate Psionics. This episode is sponsored by Abraham Perez. Thanks, Abraham. Christian, this is our first third-party book or material of any kind. Yeah, we've avoided it, we've made jokes about it, but here we are looking at the cover, and it looks a lot <laughs> like a real book. It's almost like we can be convinced to do anything, even go against set standards we set out uh, when money's involved. A little life hack for you, if you give people money, they're more willing to do things. <laughs> oh, I'll do third party for money. <laughs> Well, quite an introduction to third-party books. This is 454 pages. It's a big guy. I think that's actually bigger than the core rule book for Pathfinder itself. Uh, I think the core is like 600 or something. It's like 560. Okay, it's not longer than the core rule book, but it's a pretty meaty book. Published by Dreamscart Press, they really went into the psionics pretty hard because they also made like a psionic bestiary and other psionic-inspired stuff. So either it was popular or they said, heck with it, we're doing it anyway. Dreamscart Press has released a few other things. Path of War and Spheres of Power are also highly spoken of. Dreamscart Press is one of the big names for Pathfinder third-party material. Well, let's see if they can impress me in my vigorous standards. <laughs> Chapter one is races. Already impressed. Oh, they make us do another race overview series. I'm Love sure them. Caleb 10 out of 10, loves 10, it. Best publisher I've ever seen. <laughs> Amazing. And see, they introduce some psionic-inspired races. The blues, which are kind of like goblins that have blue pigment. Never mind. I'm unimpressed with them. All right, so let's put on the, the screen here. Editor, put on the screen and put it down to the lower left corner. There you go. You have Caleb's satisfaction meter. It's gone up. It started down. Now we're back in the middle. What's this? Goblins don't give a crap. We got dramites, which are like insect humans. Gross. I don't like insects. Uh, so, you know, hey, what's happening on that meter? I don't know. And I immediately realized that this whole meter sub-joke is untenable. I cannot do this for the whole episode. <laughs> it would become boring and unfunny if it hasn't already. So we're just going to edit. We're just going to delete that from the screen. We're going to have a clear screen again. Uh, Dramites do have something that's interesting, though, is that they don't throw away their hive mind, which is like the first knee-jerk reaction when you make like an insect race or any hive mind-based race. I love that they keep it in there. That's really cool. We get Durgars, which makes me think that this came out before Pathfinder had its own Durgars. They sort of flavor them as dwarves that dug too deep and found eldritch things that freaked them out. And uh, I'm sure you'll be surprised to hear. I really like that idea a lot. I love the idea of miners that dug too deep and then packed it back up, came back up and said, we saw things. Uh, our tip to you, don't don't dig anymore. Stop digging. <laughs> Durgars open up a bowling alley. It's like, what's your advice for bowling? Uh, I don't know. Maybe your form needs a little work here, but I definitely say don't dig too deep. That, that's probably <laughs> the number one tip I have for you. They introduce Ellens, which are sort of a similar story to Warwoods. They're made to be like a super psionic race, and they can transform others, usually humans, into new Ellens. I think this, of all the races, for me, was the most interesting. They're almost like their own secret society in that they look like humans, and you can't initially tell them apart, but they're not. They're these psionic super beings, and they sometimes kidnap people and do some ritual, no one knows how it works, to turn them into new Elans. I think this one in and of itself is really cool and can tell really cool stories. Yeah, we really need more human-looking races. But they're really super happy. psionic. <laughs> super psionic human races. <laughs> 
The Forgeborn. This is the first half construct we've seen. We saw that template introduced in the advanced race guide. Never used officially. Cool to see it being used now. You're half mineral, half humanoid. Uh, similar to Warwoods, even more so. The story, there were like powerful psionic nations battled and they made these dudes. And then now that they're done with them, they kind of get to have their own life. Half giants, which are medium creatures. They're not large creatures. Okay. I guess it kind of fits with... How um, dwarves are like not small races, but they're like the small race of the medium races. Half giants are the large race of the medium races. Go figure that one out. They get a few like traits and stuff that help them act as if they were larger without having to be larger. So mostly like sort of in CMD and like getting to wield big weapons, like treat yourself as one size category larger. Not a bad design. I really like that. I think that's really clean design. They let you do the things you want to do for being a bigger race, but without actually the complexity of, okay, well now your AC lower, now your attack bonuses are one lower, and you you have an innate strength score increase and things like that. You have the Raynads. You're really good at card games, design strategic <laughs> games. You, you like pictures of cute models on Twitter, so 121,000 people can see that you're trying to smash. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, I misread that. Maynads. Maynads. <laughs> These guys are natural sailors that have a ton of emotions that they keep bottled up until they think it's time to unleash them. It's an attempt at favoring melee combat with psionics. You can exchange mental scores for strength temporarily okay interesting norals these are humanoids that have bonded with a tentacled creature called a dream scar that lives on the back of their neck really sort of creepy looking dudes makes me think of some sort of like eldritch stories hey wait this book was written by dream scar press how interesting i <laughs> christian can i can i say i didn't catch that <laughs> There's even a special note on the top of this thing, rejecting the dream scar. I rejected it so completely I didn't even notice. <laughs> Ophidians, yet another lizard folk that don't look like lizards. Hard pass. They got the oh weird God. flat faces. And they got hair. There's scales everywhere, but they have hair. I don't like it. I don't, listen, artists, I don't like it. <laughs> you didn't Zeph's. hit the Caleb bar. Okay, you gotta get up there. You're gonna bring it back on screen. Look, there it is. It's going down. <laughs> Zephs, which have deep olive skin that makes them look super similar to half orcs, and in my opinion, really like the least inspired of all the new races here. All of them get psionic stuff. They get naturally psionic, which lets them gain a wild talent feat if they have a psionic class. Instead, they get the psionic talent feat. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And they get psionic aptitude where they can choose an additional power point as their favorite class bonus instead of, you know, skill or or hit point. This stuff will make a little more sense as we go on. Uh, but 18 pages worth of new races and new information. Uh, I love it. I love new races and all that. There's actually only a couple here that I actually find all that interesting, however. But they did a job of making dwarves interesting in my eyes, which is a, a, a feat to be sure. That my, I, I forever in my homebrew world just kind of ignore. Like, dwarves are there. They're mining and selling stuff. Isn't that, we won't really ever talk about them. I guess now I kind of have a lead. If I ever am going to talk about in my world, I like the idea of, oops, we dug too deep. What's that? Who put this here? Now, as we're talking about third-party book, Caleb, do you have any insight into the balance of these races? Like, the racial traits they get. Do they seem to be in line with what an actual Paizo normal RP race would be they do even when you get to like the half construct race which you're really balancing on the edge of balance there <laughs> uh yes in fact i do think so it is a weird thing that they all have like a similar like two of their traits are always the same i've never seen anything else but they wanted to tie them in with psionics i have a feeling some of these are just like i like this i came up with this 
Let's shoehorn it into psionics. Half giant. No, yeah, they got psionic gaps, dude. Why not? Let's move on to the next chapter, which is classes. Oh, Caleb's meter may have went up with the race, but I think I just saw Christian's meter go up. Ding, ding, ding. Here I go. Okay, classes. There's a couple. There's a handful. I didn't count them. I should have before I started the sentence. I'm going to count them now. There are 10 classes in this chapter, and these are kind of like the core classes for psionics. They all have psionic capability of some kind. So before talking about the psionic classes, we're going to talk about some mechanics that they all share. The first one is a PowerPoint reserve. We have seen in Pathfinder, we're familiar with the concept of spellcasting where you prepare spells. Psionics are a little bit differently. Every psionic has a pool of PowerPoints, which ranges based on what class you are. Whenever you manifest a power from your psionic class, you expend a number of points from this PowerPoint pool. The more powerful the effect, the more points you spend. It's more like traditional mana as we're used to from most video games. So you can cast just a bunch of low-level spells, expending little amounts of power points every time, and then last throughout the day. Or you do have the option of just spending all of your power points only on your most powerful things, which means you'll be able to do less throughout the day. I find it interesting that everyone's getting the same pool. It's not like a key pool and then a grit pool. Even Pathfinder sometimes is like, grit and panache are kind of the same thing. Okay. They kind of try to combine pools and even like when they're making new designs for the next edition, they're like, we'll just make the, we'll give them similar names, the same name. You all come off of, of spell points and things like this. They're ahead of the game on that one. Now, PowerPoints are dependent on your class. So if you are a spell casting type, like if you are the wizard type analog, you have a lot more PowerPoints than the fighter type analog or the ranger type analog. The first class is called the Aegis. The concept of the Aegis is that they are a person who is able to manipulate a suit of ectoplasm. It becomes their armor. And the entire concept of the class is that you manipulate this armor, you can make it into light armor, medium armor, heavy armor, and it can confer bonuses to you and you can manipulate it on the fly to do cooler things. They are a D10 hit die class, full base attack bonus. And because all these classes have some kind of psionic power, they all have to have a key mental ability score. In this case, it is intelligence. The major mechanic for the Aegis is they get a pool of customization points that they can use when they manifest their armor that confer the effects uh, that the armor give them, such as if it gives them evasion, or maybe it gives them some kind of stat bonus, or maybe it augments their weapons, or the armor has extra arms that can make extra attacks, things like this. The next class is the Cryptic. The Cryptic is a, a very interesting, unique idea. The Cryptic is capable of finding anything hidden while hiding themselves away, even in plain view. They interact with what they call patterns. They have this idea that everything in the world has a pattern that is kind of what controls how it acts in the world, and they can disrupt these patterns. The Cryptic is a D8 hit dice class with 3 Force BAB, and they are intelligence-based. They get cryptic powers, which basically means they get spells. They can cast spells. Spells for psionics are called powers. Their main ability is called disrupt pattern, which basically means they shoot out lasers as long as they maintain their psionic focus. And they can customize these lasers to do more damage to different things. They also get abilities called insights, which are kind of like talents that typically involve uncovering truths, or seeing unknown things, or finding or laying traps, and as their description indicated, they are very much 
heavily involved in stealth abilities. They get a lot of stealth bonuses and a lot of abilities to hide. When a cryptic uses their powers, uh, they appear as patterns on their body that move and manipulate as they use their powers. That's a cool visual. I know it's always hard to manifest visuals here in, in a game. It's very non-visual, but I love that. The cryptic of all the classes is probably my favorite. It's the most roguey of all of them, and they're very unique. The next class is the Dread. The Dread is the living embodiment of fear and uses fear to incapacitate enemies and strengthen himself. This is a D8 hit dice, 3 force BAB class, and the Dread is using charisma to manifest their powers. They can cast spells, aka they can manifest powers. They get a lot of bonuses to intimidate, as you can imagine. They get a touch attack at will which is just kind of like a spooky, dark energy touch attack, which as they level up can be used to deliver terror into their enemies. And terror is their main mechanic in that they get a list of terrors that they can pick that do things like force enemies to move away from you. Uh, gives you concealment against them because they see you as some sort of nightmare creature and they can't fully comprehend you. Slow the target down because they're in a nightmare and you can never actually run in a dream for some reason. Now, fear as a mechanic and, and Pathfinder has gotten some blowback. This seems to be really focused on fear. Does it suffer from that? Well, it doesn't use the fear mechanic per se, though it can. A lot of the things I just described are how they manifest the idea of fear. Rather than the target just running away from you, when the target looks at you, they see a horrendous shadowy figure that they can't fully comprehend. So that gives you AC bonuses against them, or it gives you concealment against them. Sure, I just call that fat, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess if somebody looks at me, they would imagine it's not it's not shadow monster stuff. It's just a lot of pretzels and fast food, honestly. Well, it's soda. <laughs> they they see the fear, uh, the nightmare of a capitalist market that fattens oh. <laughs> its constituents. <laughs> no, no, get what? away from me! <laughs> One of their later. Why can't I stop pulling out my wallet? I'll take 10 Steam games, please. No! Wake up at 1 a.m. You're in your car. You're driving through the drive-thru. How did I get here? I want to leave. The Twilight Zone. <laughs> One of the Dread's later abilities is that they can make a nightmare twin. They actually make another version of themselves that is just pure nightmare, and they can control it independently. Which, wait, 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 wait. Like, just fully a copy of you? Can I maybe go look up the mechanic exactly? Caleb... That's fine, you don't have to. Well, let me just say, I love that idea. I've been kind of messing with that idea for a long time, and that's really cool if they're able to do that well. If you remember the Anku Shadow Slayer archetype we went over, it works like that, where as they level up, the twin can do more things and take more actions until it is almost its full turn oh, cool. of actions separate from the Dread himself. Okay, neat. The next class is called the Marksman, which is kind of our first martial class for psionics. It combines mental power with either thrown weapons or ranged weapons like bows and crossbows. They are a d10 hit dice full BAB class, and they are wisdom-based. They choose a combat style, such as a volley combat style, which means that they try to shoot a lot of projectiles. Uh, they could pick sniper, which is they shoot once around, but they can do it more accurately. They can do it from farther away. Just kind of like the ranger. A little bit similar. They also choose a favored weapon, kind of like the fighter, so they could pick a uh, crossbow, they could pick bow, they could pick throwing weapons, and then they get a lot of bonuses for using their favored weapon. So just right there, between the dichotomy between the combat style and the favored weapon, I like that, because 
a volley-type marksman that uses bows is probably going to act a lot different than a volley-type marksman that uses throwing weapons. They get a lot of standard ranged bonus feats, like they get point-blank shot and things like that. It's very straightforward. They just get a lot of abilities that augment their ranged attacks or make them better at disengaging from their enemies, because they don't really have any abilities that make them better at melee combat. They could, they could do things like make combat maneuvers at range, trip and disarm maneuvers at range, or suppressing fire where they debuff enemies that they're firing at that make them lose their concentration because they're trying to avoid the arrows. Next class is the Scion. The Scion is a master of the mind, a seeker of knowledge of psionics. They are a d6 hit dice, one half BAB class, and they are intelligence based. This is basically the psionic version of a wizard. They get the most power points and they can use the highest level psionic powers. We haven't talked a lot about power points, but they're basically what you would traditionally think of as mana from video games. You get a pool of power points, and when you cast spells and use powers, they cost a different amount of points, and you lose them from that pool. The Scion is going to have the biggest pool. And then similarly to how wizards choose schools, the Scion chooses a discipline, such as the telepathy discipline or the psychokinesis discipline. The next class is the Psychic Warrior, which this was pretty interesting to me. This is a soldier who combines psionic power with physical prowess. They are a D8 three-force BAB wisdom-based psionic class, but they're mostly martial-focused. So we've seen before the monk doesn't go great because it's a martial-focused class, but it's three-force BAB. The psychic warrior gets to choose a path to follow, such as the archer path of fighting, or the brawling path, which means they use their fists, or the gladiator path. And then as they level up, they can get multiple paths and fuse them together. So you're picking these mutable options and then fusing them into kind of your own build. This is basically like a martial caster. They do have the ability to cast spells, uh, manifest powers, I guess I should say, because that's the accurate means of describing psionics. They get to manifest powers as well as being a martial class. Next is the Soul Knife. It's just a warrior who creates a weapon out of mental energy. They create a psionic knife of brain energy in their hands. They are D10 hit dice, full BAB class. They form a mind blade and they use it. The blade takes whatever form of your choice and the blade gets stronger. Sure, if it's a bladed fork. I want a fork on the back of my hand. I want to be like Wolverine, but with cutlery. <laughs> you pick whatever you want your blade to appear as. Fork, I already said that. Okay, your blade gets stronger as you level up. It's a spork. You use your blade to do more blade things. You get blade abilities. You can cut food with the fork instead of having to use a knife as well. Blade. That's all. This class is just a blade. That's it. You have a blade and you use it. It's really, there's no more nuance than that. I like the idea of manifesting a sword, but is there enough there to, to uh, make a whole class around it? I think so, because the, the vast majority of the class is the abilities. There's like a gigantic multi-plage list of all these abilities you can choose as you level up that let your mind blade do different things. That's cool. So they could pick a, a blade ability. This one, ironically, I picked doesn't do anything with the blade, is Combat Slide. Whenever they strike an enemy in melee, they may immediately take a five-foot step. In addition, when someone misses the Soul Blade with a melee attack, they may take a five-foot step as an immediate action. Interesting. This almost seems more like the Psychic Warrior than a Psychic Warrior. Potentially, but whereas a Psychic Warrior can choose to be a gladiator, or can choose to be a brawler, or can choose to be an archer, the Soul Knife can only use a blade. Okay. 
Although I might be lying because I'm seeing the ability here, emulate ranged weapon. <laughs> An emulate well, melee weapon. It's not as specialized as the Psychic Warrior. Let's move on to Tactician. Tactician is one of the more unique ones. So the Tactician joins its allies together into a single cohesive unit by using something called a collective. A collective is a new psionic concept in this book and that you're basically mentally joining a bunch of people and they can confer emotions and thoughts over this mental collective so if i were to ment- form a mental collective with i don't know let me just uh, uh let's see let's pick a bunch of internet people put put them let me put them on a hat let me throw it in the air let me grab one i got rain ad uh if i was to collect <laughs> with a rain ad then i would just all of a sudden start liking asian girls i guess Weird. It's a weird emotion I'm starting to feel that I know I could feel before. Weird. Okay. Right. <laughs> Twitter is basically a big collective where you can oh. read into other people's thoughts via their likes and favorites. <laughs> Makes sense. The tactician is a D8 hit dice class with 3 force BAB, and they use their intelligence. They get their own list of powers. They can manifest powers, a.k.a. cast spells. They form this collective, as I mentioned, and they learn things called strategies. The tactician is meant to bolster their allies' martial prowess in combat by learning strategies. Bard! It's the bard. Guard target or focus attack. It's 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 more of a... See, it's it's a bard without the whole concept that people don't like of singing music and being charismatic and playing an instrument. Okay, I'm on board. Instead, you're buffing. You guys are lucky Christians doing this section because I would be like Psychic Warrior. It's the fighter. Uh, You know... (laughs) What was the one that was the the soul cryptic? It's the rogue. (laughs) Tactician. It's the bard. They're all highly unique in their mechanics. None of them, I would say, are like a copy and paste of another class. They're all near fully unique concepts. Of course, they're going to borrow from other ideas, but in and how they operate, they are unique. And as you could expect, the tactician also gets a bunch of teamwork feats, because that was something that was made and we have to use, and more classes have to use them. (laughs) Next is the Vitalist, the Masters of Healing Energy. They also utilize a collective to link their allies that they could share healing and buffs across. The Vitalist is the only one of these psionic classes that actually have legitimate play experience with one of my players in my campaign that went on for a little over a year was a Vitalist. It is a D6 hit dice class with one half BAB, and they use their wisdom to manifest their powers. They form a collective that they can heal through, they can cast their spells through, they can transfer wounds from their allies to themselves, and they can even transfer afflictions from their allies to themselves. They learn methods such Cleric! as oh, sorry. Mender, <laughs> our Guardian, which I would compare these kind of to Paladin. domains from the Cleric. They control what kind of spells they add to their lists and what kind of special abilities they can manifest across their collect. To speak a little bit on my play experience with the Vitalist, it was pretty strong, but as a D6 wizard-type body, they're squishy. You can actually just walk up and still kill them. They were primarily balanced by this whole concept of PowerPoints that we'll get more into in the next chapter. The Vitalist was balanced, but it changed the dynamic of play, which is a healthy thing, I think. I was able to design combat and encounters differently, knowing that this character could go nuclear and just heal everyone for a crazy amount at once, but by exhausting his pool of power points, thus meaning he wasn't going to be prepared for the next battle. So it sounds like by balancing you mean just have a second encounter. (laughs) 
Kind of. You do have to, like a wizard, you would have to expend their spells, but the wizard is kind of more binary in that, well, here are my highest level spells. I have two five level five spells, and these are the strongest things I can do. The vitalist and a lot of these psionic classes can instead choose to just expend all of their power points on only their strongest things, but means that they can't use their weaker abilities later, whereas a wizard would have their backup in having lower level spells. The last class is called the Wilder. If the Scion I mentioned earlier is the wizard, the Wilder is the sorcerer of psionics. A natural talent with psionics that channels their emotions to wield uncontrolled power. They are a D8 hit dice class with 3 force BAB, and they use their charisma to manifest their powers. They have a mechanic that is called a Wild Surge, which makes the powers they manifest more powerful, but they can hurt the Wilder. There's a 15% chance, depending on what type of surge you're using, that it will have a backlash on the caster, such as they could be dazed for one round and lose some of their power points, or they can get the sickened condition for a couple rounds. I know that people are really split on this, but I'm definitely in the camp of, I love this. I love the idea of having a chance for something like this to happen. And because some really cool moments where it's like, that's the ninth one in a row where I'm failing or where I haven't failed in so long. And they get cocky. It's just, I think it always leads to fun stuff. And I think the Wilder makes that concept more interesting because they basically have control over what the bad thing that's going to happen to them. When they empower one of their psionic powers with a Wild Surge, each different type of Wild Surge has its own category of backlash. So it's not that uh, every Wilder that ever does a mishap of their spells is going to get the same result. It depends on what they were trying to do will have a different result. Like if you were trying to cast a healing spell, well then that's the one that's going to sicken you. Whereas you were trying to like control someone's mind, that's the one that's going to daze you. So to clarify a couple terms that were mentioned in these. So if you end up multi-classing any of these classes we just spoke about... You just combine their pool of power points together, and then those two added together are your new power pool total. One other thing that all psionic classes can do is something called maintain a psionic focus. Any psionically capable character can meditate as a full round action to gain their psionic focus. Their psionic focus will remain until 24 hours later, or they expend the psionic focus to either activate a class feature, or some feats actually are powered off of the psionic focus. Something that anyone can use their focus for is they can expend it to take a 15 on a concentration check. Reminds me a little bit of the kineticist, being able to spend, you know, actions to invest in doing something later on. We'll actually see later there's some verbiage in this book that was used later in the kineticist, strangely enough. Well, weird enough, one of them is kineticist, but we'll get there. <laughs> uh, speaking of getting there, let's get to the next chapter. Chapter 3, Skills and Feats. This is 40 pages. I forgot to mention classes are 56 pages. But in Skills and Feats, we get two new skills, Knowledge, Psionics, makes sense, and Auto-Hypnosis. Auto-Hypnosis? Your choice. <laughs> it's wisdom-based. And it's trained only, you've trained your mind to gain mastery over your body and the mind's deepest capabilities. What kind of things can you do with this skill? So this is like mind over matter. I'm My mind can convince my body to do things my body can't think it can do. So one of the explicit things called out is that you can ignore the caltrop wound debuff by making an auto-hypnosis check. You convince your body, I don't feel that pain. You could use auto-hypnosis to resist fear. Though your body and your instincts are afraid, you can use your mastery of your mind to tell your body, no, I'm not scared. 
or you can use it to do things like tolerate the effects of poison so that they have lesser effects on you or you kind of delay the effects until later. Not a half bad idea in design. I Yeah, I really like this one. It was a really interesting idea. I mean, sometimes you see like, okay, knowledge psionics, I see the template. Or you make another skill, it's like, all right, they just looked at all the other skills and they made one. This one really seems wholly their own. There are some new uses for existing skills in Pathfinder. Spellcraft and use magic device now can interact with psionic abilities. Spellcraft can be used to identify manifested powers as you can use it to identify spells in a very similar fashion. And use magic device can be used to activate psionic items. Now onto the feats. There are a lot of feats here. Uh, there is a new type of feat, more importantly. Some feats are psionic feats. Psionic feats can only be taken by characters who have a pool of power points. They grant you supernatural abilities, which feats typically aren't allowed to do, but the, these are actually rules-wise supernatural abilities and act like it. A lot of them require you to either already be psionically focused to work, or you have to expend your focus in order to use them. There's a new type of feat called meta-psionic, basically meta-magic, but for psionic powers. But we look at the list here, there's 200, there's over 200 new feats here, and let's talk about two specifically, Wild Talent and Psionic Talent, since they've been called out before and they'll continue to be called out. So first, we'll talk about Wild Talent, which all the races that we mentioned get bo both of these. So Wild Talent says, Your latent power of psionics flares to life, conferring upon you the designation of a psionic character. So taking this, you now count as a psionic character. As a psionic character, you gain a reserve of two power points, and you can take psionic feats, meta-psionic feats, and psionic item creation feats. However, you're not necessarily able to manifest powers just by having this feat. You need to get powers from somewhere else. Which in the case of, like, the races, each of them have something to do with it. Psionic Talent has the prerequisite of you having a power point reserve already. When you take this feat for the first time, you gain two power points. You can take the feat multiple times. Each time you take it after that, your number of power points increases by one. Okay, we've seen this kind of design before. Well, talk to us about the rest of the feats in this chapter. So most of the feats presented here interact specifically with the classes that I mentioned earlier. All of them have their own class mechanics that have feats associated with bolstering them, or feats for adding new class abilities to them, or feats to act like class abilities. So features like uh, for the Dread, they have their terrors. You can get an additional terror for the Dread. Or for the Psychic Warrior and their fighting paths, you can get advanced versions of your fighting paths, such as the Advanced Brawling Path. Many feats involve using your psionic ability to bolster your physical abilities, such as the feat Deadly Throw, which states as long as you maintain your psionic focus, you may add your dexterity modifier to damage with throwing weapons, which is a really powerful feat. I really like that one. Anything is that adds dex to damage, I mean, it's just though. throwing weapons. It's dex to damage, though. With throwing weapons that, by the yeah. way, almost no one uses. Yeah, because they use strength for damage and dex for attack rolls. Now they use dex. That could just be all dex. Fell Shot is another feat that says you may expend your psionic focus to make a ranged attack as a touch attack. Okay, so like gun mechanics. But on any weapon. And you could technically do it unlimited times, just you can really only do it once per combat. I'm sure that'll go great. Everybody really likes how well the Gunslinger worked out. I've never heard anyone argue about that. It's once per round. Whereas the Gunslinger's problem is that it's on their fourth iterative attack, and it still hits. Oh, I see. So Gunslinger's... Well, people only have a problem with him at level 17. Oh, okay. Sorry, I didn't know that. Mm. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Why are you what bringing are you up... talking about? Why are you bringing up old wounds, Caleb? You wanna... <laughs> you've been trying to get me to talk about Gunslinger this whole time. <laughs> 
<laughs> There's the feat Psionic Disarm. When you disarm someone, you can expend your focus to send the weapon flying away from them. Of speed of thought, as long as you're psionically focused and not wearing heavy armor, you get plus 10 to your movement speed. You can expend your focus to get plus 30 to your movement speed for one round. I like, I think I'm starting to like this uh, psionic focus sort of mechanic. I like things that let you improve on the standard. Like the fireball spell, but if you do this, it becomes different. And I always like the concept of limiting things as a once per certain amount of time basis. So these are kind of like once per combat abilities because you could meditate and get your psionic focus back after you use them. Obviously, I can't go through all the feats, but overall, it seems like a healthy list. I like having a lot of class focus feats because that means that there's a lot of customization of the classes, but I fear that means that some of these are must picks because they, they can only be picked by this class and they enhance this class ability. Probably means you have to pick it sometimes. I was a little disappointed going through the feats to find out that the meta psionic feats are literally just meta magic feats. Like, actually the same exact type, such as quickened psionic spells and empowered and toppling meta psionic spells. The next chapter, chapter 4, psionics. 22 pages. This is our introduction to what exactly are psionics and psionic powers. This is like the introduction to magic, and in a lot of ways it works like magic. It talks about like how you cast, quote-unquote, cast magic and all that sort of thing. Like, a lot of things are stuff we already know. Concentrating is the same rules as magic. You spend power points instead of spending spell slots. The manifestor level instead of the spell level. Those sort of things. It works very, 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 very closely to magic. In uh, one really cool thing, though, is that they try to avoid stacking bonuses. Many of them don't stack, especially like ability score bonuses. They specifically call that out. Uh, that's smart of them. But there is a ton of other similarities that allow magic and psionics to work, to interwork, uh, to intermingle. For example, sp spell resistance will affect a power, and power resistance will affect spells. Dispel magic, detect magic will both work with psionics and, and the opposite. A few things like don't work out together, like meta magic and counterspelling won't work across these divides. Uh, there's They go into a lot of detail that I'm not going to go into, but I find it an interesting decision that it's very obvious the system is copied in magic and they, they admit it and, and even build in ways for them to work together. They give the power, the, they give the psionic disciplines, which is like the school of magic. Clairsentience, which is the analog to divination, has a subschool of scrying. Metacreativity, which is like conjuration, and its subschool is creation. Psychokinesis, which is like evocation. Psychometabolism, which is like transmutation, has the subschool of healing. Psychoportation, which is like teleportation. There's no real equivalent school, however. And telepathy, which is like enchantment and has a charm and compulsion subschool. Then here's something they do really cool. You know how we have components, somatic and verbal and all that stuff. And when it comes to the game, it doesn't really have too many mechanical. Well, I, I should get to the edit. I'm going to start that over. They do something really cool with displays. There is auditory, material, mental, olfactory, and visual. And what is interesting about this, as opposed to like somatic casting and verbal casting and the like 
is that while in Pathfinder, when you have verbal and somatic, it really doesn't matter too much unless someone gets gagged or their hands are tied. Really, you usually measure it in actions and taking a standard or that sort of thing. So it almost becomes sort of irrelevant. However, with the display, it's more relevant because it's sort of indicating what you're going to be interacting with, what other people in the world are going to be interacting with. So when your spell has a, let's say, an olfactory display to it, people are smelling something when you're doing it. That's naturally more, um, not intuitive, but uh, interactive. So now you have like rules for people noticing you casting a spell. I don't know if there's really laid out rules for that in second edition. I mean, constantly that leads to that leads to people constantly saying like, "Yeah, you can cast Zone of Truth, but they'll notice it." How exactly? Uh, you're moving your hands in a weird way, I guess, because it's got somatic casting. What that looks like, who really knows? But here they kind of spell it out, and I like that a lot. And uh, you can even try to make a concentration check to quote dispense with displays, so you kind of secretly cast things. Which for magic, there really is. You'd have to throw like a still meta magic feat onto something to to sort of hide that you're casting magic. It always leads to I like to cast it secretly, and you kind of have to GM rule how that happens. Here it's built in, and I like that a lot. They sort of took something they saw and gave it a little in, in, in magic and improved it on this like quote unquote second go around. Uh, then there's manifesting time, which is like casting time. Uh, and it gives you like little notes here to tell you how people will notice if a spell's been casted on them. So like if you fail a compulsion spell, do they know that that had just tried to happen on them? Or if you succeed in a way, how, how, how do they notice that they had a spell affect them? Which is neat. Again, it's another thing that's not really, you know, laid out with magic and Pathfinder. So if I understand this correctly, a psionic fireball will explicitly smell like bat guano. Oh no! It will specifically have the olfactory component of guano. And I'm going to ask my GM to describe what burning guano smells like. <laughs> Believe you me. You can also, which is, this is super cool. You can manifest a power, i.e. cast a spell, from another character's power list via a process that takes three spellcraft checks. That's really neat. Two wizards getting together and one wizard like touching the other same way a second when he casts a spell from your list and throws out a spell he didn't know. That's really cool. And then they kind of get with definitions like this is a psi-like ability, which is like a spell-like ability. Then they get into some details like uh, tips for adding psionics to your game. They add ability burn, which is ability damage that can't be healed except by resting. And that's sort of like the kineticist where their burn couldn't be getting rid of except by resting. Funny another way we see the kineticist come up in here before the kineticist even existed. And then they give like a whole game mastery section with things like what is psionics, why psionics, introducing psionics, terms to know, rules to know, uh, with psionic players, without psionic players, with psionic characters. They even talk about the Nova phenomena, which is a like a 3.5 wide subject, like being able to just burn out real quickly encounters by doing all your most powerful things. It's not really tied to just psionics, but they mention it with psionics. They talk about treasure and even some house rules. In my opinion, this should have been the first chapter of this book because this really leads into understanding everything. I agree from a organizational perspective, but also, man, would it be dry going straight into talking about how to manifest a power and not having a clue who can do that and what powers there are. I guess. 
Because if someone opens a book and they're like, they're the first thing they see is the races, they're like, oh, these are cool races. And the next thing they see the, the classes, I'm like, oh, these are cool classes. I'm going to buy this book. Whereas if the first thing they see when they open it is a bunch of text describing the rules, they'd probably be like, oh, this is boring. I suppose. Well, one thing that does make sense is that it introduces the next chapter, which is chapter five, Psionic Power, is 116 pages. This is pretty much the spell lists for the classes. I'm sorry, power list for the classes. So having a whole new spell list, we actually have a couple new descriptors for these powers you can manifest. So the first one is the network descriptor. This means that this power can be used by a tactician or a vitalist, and they can cast it over the people in their collective. And they have class abilities that interact with network type powers. There is the shared descriptor. I don't understand the naming of this I don't understand the naming of this descriptor, but the idea is that you can only have one shared type power in effect at a time. So if I, I cast a spell on myself, it is a shared spell. It'll last for a while, but if I try to cast another shared spell, the first one will wear off and disappear. Which is the smart idea I was talking about earlier where you can't keep stacking and stacking and stacking. It's something Pathfinder needs to stop that. I don't think it's called power creep, but I don't know the term for it. But there's a you just stack so much crap on yourself, you become impossible to beat. If I recall correctly, there was a thread on Reddit the other day that was the highest strength I can manage on a character. And I think they got up to 56 strength by just stacking <laughs> as many things as possible with different descriptors on it. There is a trigger descriptor, and this one I really like. It's a power that you manifest and it does its thing, but it has an additional secondary effect if a triggering condition is met. So a very basic example of a triggered spell is Dazzling Sword Play. Your next successful melee attack dazzles the struck creature, but it has a trigger. If your attack is successful and the struck creature moves or attacks before the end of its next turn, you can expend your psionic focus to blind it until the end of its current turn. Hmm. That's a little bit of more uh, importance on identifying what power was just used on you so you know, oh, oh, this has a trigger. I need to not move. Otherwise, I'm going to be blinded. A little bit of bookkeeping, but as in, a, in terms of game mechanics and gamifying it, I think it's really cool. Because I always think of things that like, oh, if you cast this fire spell on someone that is already, say, greased up or have oil on them, that, that would be a trigger to me and it should do more. Where there's not a lot of things that explicitly interact with each other like that in Pathfinder. It's up to the GM just kind of fire at it. You also have augments where you can boost the pa- boost the power in some way by spending more power points. You can like increase the range or increase the DCs and that sort of thing. Now with the ability of augment, it's important to know the rule. The general rule that balances psionics in general is you cannot spend more power points on a power than your level. So if you're a level 5 manifester, you can only ever spend 5 power points on a single spell. Now, when we were doing our notes, originally, both of us were supposed to pick powers that we liked. And and you know what, Christian? So many of these powers are just mimicking spells. Like, almost exactly. We were supposed to pick which powers we liked and talked about all the cool, interesting ones. I pick Wish. Ben Reality. It's Wish. It's what it is. Uh, I like Dimension Door. Let's see what the power's called. Dimensional Slide. That's the one I like. Oh, well, no. I'll look at some of the cool ninth level spells. Those will probably be interesting. Oh, wait. They're all boring. Because of the existence of Augment, I feel like there's you have to like look into spells that you could augment that are lower level so they could technically be a higher level. But I do agree. The I looked immediately toward the ninth level ones. I was like, these aren't super powerful or interesting when they're supposed to be the be-all, end-all, which I like. Because forget you, spellcasters, you don't get to do whatever you want, okay? Jeez, so needy. So example of a ninth level spell, Apopsy. You target someone with it, 
and they if they fail their save, they lose 1d4 powers of your choice. You roll the dice, and they just lose those powers. They cannot manifest them for 24 hours. After 24 hours, they can make another fortitude save to attempt to negate this. If they fail that, then they have to seek some other means of getting these powers back. Not amazingly powerful, I guess it could be if you're particularly afraid of one certain power or some powers. But I think it's interesting play with the game space. This isn't something you see a lot. We, we've seen some abilities that steal arcane spells, but I guess this is the analog to stealing a power. Some spells are very similar to already existing Pathfinder spells, but not exactly the same. And some of them I like better. For instance, Attraction. Attraction is a level 1 spell, and it works a lot like Charm Person. But unlike the Pathfinder analog, it's worded very clearly on how this effect works. You designate a person or object, and if the target fails their will save, they are attracted to that person or object. Well, what exactly does being attracted to it means? It means they will attempt to approach it, they are fascinated with it, but they won't endanger themselves to approach it. They will do what they can without hurting themselves to walk toward whatever this thing is and interact with it appropriately. If it's a person, talk to them. If it's an object, touch it or pick it up. Caleb, interact with these pretzels. <laughs> no save needed. <laughs> I choose to fail. I think this is cool because I think it shows that even with similar spells, Dreamscard Press is good with playing with existing design space and manipulating it a little bit. So spell I wrote down is Battle Sense. This is a level 3 power for the tactician or the vitalist. You and your allies in your network can use the aid another action as an immediate action, and everyone gets a bonus as picked by you. They can get a bonus to attack rolls, a bonus to AC, a bonus to damage. You can augment this power by spending additional power points, in which case you could pick more bonuses from that list for them to get. Now this next one sounds really cool. Exhalation of the Black Dragon. This is a level 3 spell for the Psychic Warrior. So what it does is it's a ranged touch attack that does 3d6 acid damage on a level 3 spell. Okay, that's really bad, but wait, it has an augment option. You can spend an additional 2 power points to increase the damage by 1d6. Okay, that's still really bad, and there's nothing else. That's it. I bring this power up because it is bad. And it's very important that third-party publishers have bad or suboptimal options. It shows that they aren't simply pushing their product via the power level of their spells. They thought of this thing, they thought it'd be cool, not great execution, but hey, that was their vision. They wanted them to be able to do mediocre acid damage on a ranged touch attack, why not? Maybe it's just like a, an acid arrow replacement, but one that can level up with you. Acid arrow doesn't do a lot. It doesn't, it only does like 2d4. But it's, it's a low level, you know, level thing. Maybe, I hold to that, it bad. It real bad. I never use it. <laughs> now, I thought you said all the level 9 spells were lame, Caleb. I actually found a pretty cool one. Fusion. Level 9 tactician spell. It's literally Dragon Ball Z fusion, but without the stupid anime dance. You fuse two people into one body, They one body now has both their abilities. Wait, what? Yeah, you, you just fuse together, you're now one super being with the powers of both. Wait, how do you control actions and all that? Who cares? You're fused together. You're, you're go-trunks. <laughs> Amazing. All right, I take it back. It is a cool thing. It's like a whole page of description. I don't want to read the whole thing, but I was like, wow, this is really cool. The fused being has your current hit points plus the other creature's current hit points. It knows all the powers you and the other creatures know. It has a sum of all of your power points and knows both of the prepared spells each other possess. And you know all of each other's feats, so you're basically just one being fused together. So if you want to have some anime-level nonsense, just look at that spell and just force it on your players. You want it to happen, who cares?
how you make that happen. Well, all right, I think we're bordering some other territory. You have some unresolved <laughs> issues. That maybe you're bleeding into this review. <laughs> Just to give an example of a more generic power from the power list here, Psionic Blast. It could be cast by the Scion or the Wilder, which is kind of like our wizard sorcerer. It's a level three power. It is a 30-foot cone that stuns everyone who fails their save for one round. Pretty simple spell. Uh, you can augment this by spending an additional two power points to increase the number of rounds people are stunned and the save DC by one. Psychic Crush is a dread and wizard spell, Scion and Wilder. And this is an example of what I think is a well-balanced save or die spell. The target has to make a will save at a plus four bonus, or you crush their mental essence and leave them unconscious and dying at negative one HP. So if you can compare this to something like Phantasmal Killer, Phantasmal Killer has you make two saving throws or you instantly die. You just die. This has you making one saving throw, but with a plus four bonus, which is a really big bonus. And instead of outright killing you, you're just at negative one hit points. So there is a possibility of you being saved. Schism is a really cool one. And now I'm thinking about how on earth this works with fusion. It can be cast by the Dread or a Telepath Scion. You split your mind into two separate minds in your body. So you have your mind and then you actually have a whole other separate mind that is also your mind. The separate mind, the secondary mind, can take standard actions during your turn that are just purely mental actions. Thankfully, mon manifesting psionic powers a lot of times are purely mental actions. Last spell to bring up, this is one of the martial character spells. The marksman and the psychic warrior can cast Zealous Fury at level four. It's a swift action and it lasts one round. You reduce the penalty on your iterative attacks by five. You could augment this by spending additional power points to reduce the penalty by 10. You can spend more to reduce the penalty by 15. And you can spend even more to extend the duration for a round. So as a high level marksman or psychic warrior, you could be making all of your iterative attacks for two turns at full BAB, but basically by spending your entire reserve of power points. So do make sure you read that Nova Phenomenon part of it, because Psionics do have the ability to just go all out when they want. Uh, chapter 6, Advanced Options. 88 pages of archetypes. Yay, Christian. It's a lot of archetypes. They put a lot in this book. This is crazy. Like, each class that they presented has about four archetypes on average for it. And then there's archetypes for the core classes from Pathfinder, so that you could put psionic powers on your barbarians and on your paladins and such. Christian, please do me a favor and summarize these as quick as you can. Lightning around me. Okay. Mm. Here we go. Aegis, that guy that makes body armor, aberrant archetype. Instead of making an ectoplasmic shell, they manipulate their bodies and look all ugly and twisted and misshapen. Crystal warrior, they get a psi crystal. Oh no, I have to talk about psi crystals now, but I have to be fast. Psi crystals are like familiars, but they're little crystals that have their own sentience and you also put spells in them. They merge their armor with their psi crystal. Ectoplastic artisan, oh, it's an Aegis that suit becomes an Edelon. Trailblazer, they just get some survival-based skills, tracking and trap finding. The cryptic has Brutal Disruptor. They just get bonuses to Intimidate. It's stupid. I don't get it. Dis Distorter. They distort other people's perception of the world via illusions and disrupting patterns. Grammaton. Wait, hang on a second. They shoot guns. They have an ability called Gun Kata. You hit him with a gun, and then you shoot the bullet. Hit um, bullet. Hit bullet. Amazing. Yes. 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 Equilibrium in my Pathfinder. Yes, I need this and more things. I'm taking Gun Kata, and I'm putting it on something else. Lost Mind has seen into the pattern of the void and is gone mad. They get void insights. 
pattern breaker. They're able to break things in the real world by disrupting their patterns, meaning they can disable items, locks, and auras. The Dread. The Dread has some cool stuff. Fear and flesh. They become a living nightmare through metamorphosis-type effects, altering their body into a more fearful, nightmarish form. Fearmonger. It uses wisdom instead of charisma. That's it. Nightmare Constructor. They create a nightmare in the real world that is just a scary Eidolon. Shadow Hunter. They're stealth-focused dread that manipulates the shadows to do stuff. The Marksman has Cannoneer. They use the Culverin, which is a giant hand cannon that knocks you on your butt when you fire it. The Kai Gun. They use normal guns, and they have their own deeds. The Shroud. They're stealth-based, and they get invisibility and hide in plain sight. And the Spearman. Believe it or not, they use spears. The Scion has advanced disciplines, which are just sub-schools of the wizard schools. I don't know why they had to rename it. The Arcane Mine. If it wasn't weird enough that Psionics already cast manifest powers as you cast spells, the Arcane Mine manifests powers literally by casting arcane spells. The Bombarder. They throw alchemist bombs. Dual Disciple. Gee, why does mom let this archetype have two disciplines? Mind Rite, focused on crafting psionic items. The Psychic Warrior has the martial kineticist. They fight with psionic power instead of weapons. The Meditant. Hmm. The name Kineticist. The Meditant. They get monk abilities like Unarmed Strike and Flurry. Pathmaster. They only get a single fighting path, but it's way better. Tracer. I'm already Tracer. Soul Knife. <laughs> <laughs> they go fast. Soul Knife. They have advanced uh... blade skills. They just have more blade skill options. The Armored Blade. Okay, I guess we could just take a class whose entire concept is they have a blade and just change it into armor. That's cool. Cutthroat. They're a little bit sneakier. They get sneak attacks. Deadly Fist. I'll give you one guess. <laughs> Feral Heart. I'll give you another guess. It's natural attacks this time. Gifted Blade. They can manifest more power, but they get less punching abilities. Nimble Blade. I hope you like dexterity. Shielded Blade. Wait a second, we had the Armored Blade already. Okay, this time it's a shield instead. Whatever. Soul Bolt. Shoot your Mind Blade as Soul Bolt. It's a, it's a ranged archetype. You shoot it out. Tactician. I almost don't want to say them because I don't understand any of these archetypes. I don't know what they do. Amplifier. They amplify something. I don't get it. They increase the combat cohesiveness of your... Collective. Battle Medic. They mitigate damage and they heal. The Commander. Commands members of their units and force them into actions. Fear Projector. You shoot fears into your enemies' brains instead of unifying your allies. Meta Nexus. I actually, I literally don't know. I read it like three times. I don't know what this does. <laughs> Which means it's probably very good. Vitalist. For a class that was entirely about healing people and helping people, these are all really mean archetypes. The Life Leech. You move harmful effects and damage between members of your collective. You're like, hey, this guy's hurting. Now you're hurting. The Miasmic. They concentrate solely on diseases and poisons, healing them and inflicting them on their enemies. The Sadist, which subsists off of pain. They get buffs when their people of their collective take damage, and they can inflict greater pain and bleeding on their enemies. Wilder archetypes. The Battle Wilder. They just get a bunch of martial capabilities and weapon proficiencies. The Blasting Wilder. They just focus solely on their Surge Blast ability. And the Contemplative, which just uses Wisdom instead of Charisma. Woo! Good job, Christian. Great landing round. Of the all these... I just want to be the gun kata thing. I just want to have an entire campaign of gun kata cryptics. It Sounds like the greatest. Pretty cool. There's something for each of the core classes. Uh, most of these archetypes are going to give them the wild talent or psionic talent bonus feat. Uh, the robe gets cerebral infiltrator as well as some rogue talents and advanced rogue talents. Monk gets enlightened monk. Druid gets gain. Ranger gets pack leader. The cleric. Gets a new domain, psionics, with subdomains of discipline, dreams, and noetics. Noetics? Noetics. 
Fighter gets psionic fighter, sorcerer psionic bloodline. The wizard gets psychic mage, barbarian raging beast, and the bard thought singer. And apparently psionics are heresy because the paladin gets nothing as far as I can tell. Oh, that's a good freaking point. I guess, <laughs> no, they do paladins deal with domains? No, they not. They lay on hands and they light their sword aflame. Huh, I guess screw you. Uh, traits. There are a bunch of new traits under three categories, Sonic, Dream, and Race. Then they talk about power displays some more, which make this thing I already like even better. There's a ton of customization for displays. They give you like what a display looks like for each discipline. For example, if you have a mental component for charm, the manifestor's presence seems reassuring to those in the nearby area. In creation, if you have an auditory display, the sound of a hammer striking an anvil becomes louder and striking faster the higher the level of the power. Really, really cool. It's really cool that you freaking measured and listed there what happens. I love it. And really neat is they tell you what combos will look like. So, for example, if we have a, a material and a visual combination of displays, motes of multicolored and sparkling snowflakes fall to the ground around the manifestor before disappearing, or sparkling crystals swirl around the manifestor for the round and change color while they fly. Really, really cool. They made something that was supposed to be dumb, somatic, verbal into just an extraordinary piece of role-playing material. We get some alternate racial traits, favored class options, and what a typical class of each race looks like, and some archetypes. And for core races, we just get the uh, the typical class and the favorite class option. Uh, this should have been in the races chapter, in my opinion, but okay, I guess it's here. I don't know why you'd have your alternate racial traits for your races way down there, but okay, fine. They're advanced options, Caleb. They're for the advanced players. You don't want to burden new people with that. I agree. It should be in the race options. I don't. I don't know why they put it all the way down here. You were close. I'm glad you agree with me because I was getting ready. <laughs> I was on the precipice <laughs> of another Caleb rant. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Chapter 7, a Prestige Classes. There are 40 pages of Prestige Classes. I guess they, they are of the mind that they like both uh, Prestige and Archetypes. Take that. Yeah, take that divisive Discord that assaults new members with whether or not they like Prestige or Archetypes. Looks like you can like both. <laughs> Christian, can you go through these for us? I can. Now, <laughs> there was 10 classes there are 19 prestige classes here. I don't know why there's so many. I want to say before I get into them that generally, I like their design of prestige classes. They feel much more like prestige classes to me than a lot of the Pathfinder ones that I would never pick. These are actually, for the most part, do different things or are just combining two different ideas. Like if you're an arcane caster and a psionic manifester, well, you take this class to get both at the same time. So, lightning round number two. Adaptive Warrior. Full BAB class. There's ten levels of it. The idea is that you study creatures, whether they're your enemies or your allies, and you can mimic their abilities. You can mimic their weapon proficiencies. You can mimic their physical skills like stealth, stealth, like stealth or acrobatics. Or you can even mimic their feats. And then you get a bunch of bonuses against the person you're studying. I like the idea of studying my ally and learning how to wield the weapon they wield. Body Snatcher. You gotta be level 10 to be this. It's only, it's got six levels, which is weird. Uh, it's a wizard that gets the mind switch power. Their entire concept is that you, you swap minds with somebody else and you're just better at it than usual. The person that goes into your body is severely weakened or even incapacitated while you're walking around in their body doing whatever you want. The Cerebromancer. This is basically Mystic Theurge 
but for psionic and arcane characters. If you're an arcane casting class and a manifester class, if you take this archetype, you get to level up both at the same time. Dark Tempest is specifically for Mind Blades, uh, the Soul Knife. It's basically the Magus. When you hit someone with your, your Soul Knife, you can manifest a power. I didn't, I missed that one. The Elocator simply alters gravity and space and is better at those spells. The Metaforge is if you are multiclassing both Soul Knife and Aegis, you just take this and you level them both up at the same time, just at slightly different progressions. The Meta Mind is interesting. It's a wizard type archetype. It has 10 levels, and basically you get a ton more power points at the cost of getting slower power progression. So you can do stuff more often, you can, and you can manifest more powers, but you don't get the higher level powers. The Metamorph is entirely designed around the Metamorphous power, which is basically the shape-shifting power. You're better at casting that spell, you get more options into what you can manifest, what powers you get when you change your body. The Mystic Ar Archer is just a full BAB prestige class that gets blind sense, and it gets sneak attack. And that's really it. They're just, they just have heightened senses and they do sneak attacks with ranged weapons. The Phrenic Slayer is a full BAB archetype with 10 levels. You get a favored enemy against a psionic creature and you just develop a lot of resistances to their psionic powers. Like, you basically become immune to them. Psy Crystal Imprinter interacts with the Psy Crystals I mentioned very quickly. They're basically little item-like familiars for psionics. The Scion Uncarnate was really cool. Wizard type, wizard type prestige class has 10 levels. You can spend a move action to become incorporeal, but you could choose to have your items still operate. And then you start acting more and more like a incorporeal creature as you level up. The Psychic Fist is just, if you have a key pool, if you're multiclassing into Monk and a Manifester, you take Psychic Fist to level both up at the same time. Pyrokineticist was really cool. It is a 3 force BAB 10 level prestige class. I love the special requirement. This character, you know, must be so many levels high, must have set fire to a structure of any size just to watch it burn. <laughs> You're a fire boy. You get a fire whip and you can shoot fire bolts and you can manipulate fire. It's pretty cool. It's it's not very strong as far as I can tell, but it is a pretty cool representation of a pyrokineticist. Sighted Seeker. It is a 3 force BAB 10 level prestige class, and it's all about using psionic powers to track down and hunt a target. You could do things like passively read the minds of crowds, and you can use augury type abilities to ask questions of your target and get clues and hints as to where they are. I really like this one. It's like a psionic detective, and it's a new hit sitcom on ABC. The Sighted Seeker. You got the Soul Archer, which is just the Soul Knife. Just, you you attack at a range. There was already an archetype for that. Didn't read it enough to get it, but I get it. I don't get it. The Telekinetic Weapon Master. Full BAB, five levels, prestige class. You hold your weapon with your mind, which just every time you take a level in it, it gives you something new you can do with it. So when you first take your level, it gives you reach with the weapon because you're holding it with your brain. When you next level up, you can now throw your weapon. When you next level up, well, now you can throw it really far and hit a bunch of people at once. I've wanted to sort of have a telekinetic weapon for a while, and Pathfinder, when I say Pathfinder, please excuse me, I mean first party, has a couple of things, but it's sort of obtuse and hard to do, so I'm glad to see there's something here. This one's interesting because it's only five levels, and you probably don't need the later abilities, because so you could just take a one or two level dip and just get the ability to hold your weapon telekinetically and just forget about it after that. The Thrall Herd. Now this one was actually pretty interesting to me. It's a wizard-type prestige class, gets ten levels, 
you need to be either a vitalist or a tactician because you need a collective. But basically, you get a version of leadership, but it's psionic-based. So instead of getting cohorts and followers, you get thralls and believers who are innately attracted to your staggering psionic power. Probably broken just like leadership is, but I thought it was an interesting concept. Then you got the Warmind Fighter-type prestige class. It's got 10 levels. It actually has its own Manifestor level and its own list of powers. If you take Psychic Warrior into this, you can level up as if you were a Psychic Warrior. And they just happen to knowledge to buff themselves. Like they said, they spend a move action to think real hard and they get a bonus to strength for a few rounds. It's kind of boring, honestly. And that's all the prestige classes. Then we're going to move into our last chapter, Chapter 8, Psionic Items. 56 pages. What are we getting with our special psionic item? So it starts off with psionic weapons and armors. There are new special abilities that can be placed on them through psionic item creation. Not going to go through them because there's a ton. The armor and shield enhancements have 24 new options and the weapons have 36 new options. That's a lot, but they do come with some new unique weapons and armors to shout out one of the unique armors you got the shadow shirt it's a plus two chain shirt with a plus five bonus of stealth and you can become a shadow as per the power shadow body for five rounds a day now that just feels like a magic item honestly though a lot of these didn't shout out to me psionic they just felt like magic items there's some unique weapons and they're all called crystal something like crystal hilt or crystal shroud and they all require you to have a mind blade and be a soul knife didn't really understand that part of it get there's a couple new categories of items which are i say new and by new i mean they're the same thing as magic they're analogs jores are like wands but for psionic powers uh power stones are scrolls but for psionic powers psy crowns are staves but for psionic powers psionic tattoos are the only new one someone inscribes a tattoo on somebody else which is a psionic power and the person with the tattoo inscribed can activate the tattoo just by touching it, and it fades away after it's used. So even if you aren't a psionic character, you can just touch it and activate it. So kind of like potions? I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not <laughs> the realization. I was thinking, because I think there's rules on what types of spells you can inscribe, and it's probably the same spells as potions. Well, let's let's look at the universal items, the, the majority of magic items in Pathfinder, what most people find uh, the most interesting... Uh, when we talk about something we find interesting, I says we're both going to say Boots of Skating, okay? Okay. Um, I guess we both could say at the same time, uh, one of my favorites was the Boots of Skating. <laughs> or no, I'll say, uh, let's talk about our first item, and we'll both say Boots of Skating. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about our first items each, okay? Um, boots, boots of, of skating. skating. Wait, right, so I'm talking the- about Boots of Skating. Uh, I picked that out of the list. No, Caleb, I saw it first. I wrote the notes first, Caleb. These are my boots <laughs> of skating. I will say your notes here aren't better than mine, so go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) What did you write here? So, Boots of Skating enact the skate spell. So you basically become a psionic rollerblader who's trying to stop the government, who's trying to outlaw fun in this hit 90s film, Psionic Skater. You can't outrun fun, government. (laughs) I just like how ice skates have become a magic item. So, the second item that I wrote down is the Mantle Mantle of of the the Void. void? Christian, please. Alright, so we're sort of recreating in a dumb way. What (laughs) freaking happened? We were writing the notes. We were writing the notes, and we both picked out this huge list 
and we picked out these two items. I'm talking about Mantle of the Void. It's my turn. It's Caleb's time. <laughs> Fine. There are a lot of items, though. Uh, in this universal category, there's a ton of items. Which is good. You, that's exactly what you need. The Mantle of the Void. So if you wear this, once a week you can get a plus six bonus to one of your rolls. First off, once a week stuff is kind of weird. Once a day makes a lot of sense, but a lot of time, you know, you don't really keep track of weeks. But, oh, okay. That's, like, really cool to get the plus six that you're wearing this mantle that was woven by the Durgar using strands of darkness taken from the void between the stars. A gateway into the minds of mad men, dark prophets, and the deranged. Amazing. I love it. However, if you want to use this more than once a week, go ahead. But you're going to risk your sanity. You get to take 1d3 points of ability burned to your wisdom score. This is pretty cool because some people would be fine with losing a little bit of wisdom and be able to get a plus 6. Fine, go ahead. I mean, once a week's a long time to wait and a plus 6 is pretty cool. It's pretty tempting. A lot of items have drawbacks. Aren't that tempting to get the drawback. This one is. Oh, by the way, if for any reason... Your wisdom score is reduced to zero while wearing the mantle. It'll swallow you whole and you disappear forever, unrecoverable even to the effects such as reality revision, just like the resurrection spell. That is super cool, well-flavored, well-thought-out item. It's so funny how we both picked these things. Great minds think alike, are in sometimes equally stupidly. Like in the boots of skating. Oh yeah, uh, reality revision is... Bend reality, but higher level. It's the wish-wish spell. Random item I picked up is a very simple item, the empathic monocle. So you can look through your fancy little monocle at somebody, and if you expend your psionic focus while you're studying a creature, you get a plus five on diplomacy and sense motive checks against them for one round. So the psionic focus can even come into play with items. They can be for class features, they can be for feats, and now they can be for items. So it is a contended for ability. Quiver of Recall. Pretty cool item that unlike just a, oh, this quiver can hold as many arrows. People usually buy that cheap item. Uh, this one brings back ammo that you use. This is really, really neat. All the mechanics in here are justified with good flavor. So you can't catch it on fire. It can't be exposed. Like if it's underwater and all that stuff, you upend it. The arrows will fall out because it's like its own extra dimensional space. It's a, it's a really cool idea because there's not a lot of like get your item back stuff that isn't like, okay, only for your sword you have recovering. You spent a lot of money for it. All your ammo... That's pretty interesting. They try to do a little bit of like, uh, okay, well, if it's an explosive bullet, you get the bullet, not the reagents inside that made it explosive. Yeah, but there's a lot of special errors and things that aren't involving with chemicals and the like. And I just love the idea, like, if you shoot it out, it, it talks about before it, it hits, the quiver knows that it's going to miss and it'll warp it back into your thing so the ammo doesn't break. Pretty Lastly, we have the appendix, where we have some monsters. And by some, I mean like three that were of any interest. And by some monsters, I mean three. We have the Astral Construct, which is sort of like a build-your-own construct. They have a bunch of different levels and a bunch of abilities. It's from CR 1.5 to CR 10. There's seven of them. And then you can kind of modify them with different abilities. You have literally, they call them Astral Construct Menu A and B. You get to, and C, you get to pick from uh, Astral Swarm and Psy Crystal. But there's it's a swarm construct? That's terrifying. What? It has immunity to, like, everything. <laughs> How do you hurt and, it? And it delivers a poison. Ectoplasmic poison. And then a side crystal, which, like, gains a bunch of benefits depending on who has it. They call it its master. A little bit of an interesting monster. But like I said, if you're very, very interested, they came out with a psionic bestiary and the like. 
Well, Christian, that's the whole book. Let's talk about our conclusions. So we've kind of joked about third-party material before, and it does get a lot of flack, and for good reason. Third-party publisher wants to sell their material, and a lot of third-party publishers release overpowered garbage so that players see it, that aren't super experienced, and know that it's stupidly broken. They want it, and they buy it. And the publisher doesn't have to care about balance in the way that Paizo does because it's not their game. This isn't Dreamscard Press's game. This is Paizo's game. And they don't care if they upend the balance with their third-party material. As I mentioned before, people swear by Dreamscard Press. And looking through this book, I can see why. It seems to me, I haven't actually played using all of these, excellently balanced on a mechanical perspective. I think it's well done overall. The organization, I I think the art and the content itself are all just about par or above par. The psionic subsystem isn't too hard to fit into a traditional medieval setting, and it shouldn't disrupt the balance too much. Or you could just play a full psionic game, which to me honestly sounds really fun with all of the options presented here. A lot of the options in this book really excite me, and I want to try them out, which is really what I'm looking for in any content that a publisher releases. And it's very clear that Dreamscarp Press put a lot of effort into this. There are so many options. I was astounded to see how many archetypes there were, and there's not a lot of filler. Sometimes there's filler archetypes and there's filler items. Not a lot here. Uh, Dreamscar Press really put a lot of work into this. And if you're someone that, like me, sometimes gets tired of your, your standard high fantasy setting, you got knights and you got wizards and stuff, this is an excellent way to break away from those stereotypes while still fitting in with the world. When I had my player play a psionic character, he actually kind of did it backwards. He chose a psionic class, but he reflavored the vitalist to be more of a cleric. He, he reflavored the psionic abilities and the mental abilities as some power from his soul that he called Heartfire. Um, and overall, I, I like the book. I think it, it's well designed, and I think it, psionics do have a good place in the game. Well, Christian, the most important part about this book, of course, is the art. And uh, the art's hit or miss. And I guess they always miss, huh? Because the art Ugh. is great. It's not the best. Uh, it, occasionally, it's okay. Really not a huge fan of the art. Uh, but I will say that there, it's good that there is a lot of material. This is a complete system, in my opinion. You get, like, they, you could just have here are the cool classes. And, and, like, they're, oh, the races, aren't they nice bonuses? But they fill it out with a ton of powers, which is what you need. They give you a ton of options for archetypes and for your prestige classes. They even give you a ton of items. These are all the most important things. The only thing I find lacking is, like, a beast share, even a small one. Just those three weren't really a lot. If you're going to have a, a campaign with all the psionic inspiration, you're going to want the monsters. But aside from that, they really give you the complete system. So I got to at least give them a comment on that. However, it is just spells reskin. They're very well thought out. They're well designed. But sure, when you copy somebody else's already well designed work, of course it's going to be well designed. I don't know why we need this when it's a glorified skin. Yes, I'll give them the comment that a lot of the stuff, like you were talking about earlier with one of the spells, they like improve on what's there. They find some of the things like I was talking about with the displays and they flesh them out or the specific rules about whether or not somebody knows they have a power casted on them. 
are used on them. These are cool. They are at least improving on what's there. That stuff they're adding isn't garbage. It's in, or even neutral. It's actually really really good. Uh, however, when you look at when you look at the way Pathfinder did Occult to to give Dreamscar Press here, it was a lot less in depth than this, right? It was mostly like no longer is the material verbal. Now the somatics are I forget. Now instead of somatic, it's like mental and something else. I forget what it was. Like they really did not distinguish psionics between in magic really in the occult i suppose so if you're going to compare them to paizo maybe they did a better job but the the deal is it's just such a reskin i don't really see it as that great of a oh wow look at psychic magic psychic stuff it's so much different it's the same this to me when people were like alchemy alchemy and magic just seems so samey to me why we have a difference however if you're really really into the psionics no reason to skin it yourself here is a complete well-balanced breakfast for your psionic uh cereal and like you said, I'm saying that without having tested it. I haven't played the game, but just reading through the book. And uh, and I know a lot of the stuff is very crunchy. A lot of this is stuff that, that you're more interested in than I am. New classes, new feats, new... Uh, you know, spells or powers, I should say. These sort of things are definitely up your alley more than they're up mine. They're so far up my alley, dude. Well, that is Ultimate Psionics, our first third party. Thanks again to Abraham for sponsoring this episode. If you want to sponsor an episode like Abraham, visit our site and click on Sponsor an Episode, and you too can make us do an episode on your favorite topic. That's all for Ultimate Psionics. Thank you all for listening. Class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great RPG podcasts, visit our website, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? Email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. This episode was edited by Devin Tonnell. This is Johan Martins. Thanks for listening. Oh, hey, didn't see you there. My friend Christian and I were just getting ready to open up our presents. Hey, Caleb, do you think these guys would be interested in joining us? You know, I bet they would. I mean, if they listen to Pathfinder Academy, they gotta be cool, right? If role-playing games are your thing, why don't you guys check out our other podcast, Trailblazers? Trailblazers is an actual play podcast where you can see many of the concepts addressed in this show come to life. Season 2 of Trailblazers has been great so far, and I especially like that you can get into it without any prior knowledge of Season 1. It's definitely a fun adventure, especially if you like mysteries and a dash of cyberpunk with your fantasy. If high fantasy is more your style, then consider giving Season 1 a listen. You can find Trailblazers on iTunes. We've got a bunch of other ways to listen as well, so go to our site tblazer.net for a complete list of the ways that you can listen. So go ahead, get some eggnog, pour yourself a cup of cheer, grab some dice, and join us. Alright Christian, this one's for me, open it up! Ooh, what is oh, Caleb, a, a bag of dice, how unexpected. <laughs>